This episode was previously recorded during NBA Summer League 2021. The conversation with Savannah and Nick is still relevant, so we thought to publish it. Hope you enjoy. This is Burton Chawla, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. You know, you have an Air Jordan 1, let's say that you know, maybe it was going for $2,000, $3,000 10 years ago, and some of these Jordan 1s are going for $50,000 plus. Yeah. You know, so rather than invest in a stock, you go investing into the same way you would invest into art, investing into a sneaker. Hey guys, welcome to the Black Box Podcast with Burton Chawla and Savannah Hart, where we have conversations with key industry leaders on sports, media, music, and entertainment. Nick, thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time. Always Vegas, baby. Vegas. My favorite place. <laughs> <laughs> we got you on the show. I don't know how much you follow our show, but we do this because we want to do like insider looks in the sports, music, entertainment business. And I think you're the insider of insiders when it comes to sneakers. And I think it's interesting how you got here because, I mean, you and I go a long way. I've been in this business for a minute. I've seen the evolution of it. But I'm not sure if I ever envisioned 10 years ago, five years ago, like a woge of sneakers. Do you ever think about that? And how'd you get here? Like, how did that evolution kind of unfold? Yeah, I always joke until my grandma saw me on the jump, she probably didn't think I had a real job. So that, right, was, right. that was like a cool moment when that happened. But um, it really started just reading Slam as a kid. They had the first Kicks magazine in 1998. And that was kind of like the light bulb of like, hey, maybe I could write about sneakers and that could be a real thing. Um, and so ever since that first magazine, obviously you grew up playing ball and you want to be in the NBA. And then when you're 14, 15, you have that moment where you realize it's probably not going to happen. And so for me, it was just shifting at 14 to 15 to try to go down the journalism path and, and get into the industry. That early on, you were like at 15. So you see kicks and you're like, oh, there's going to be like sneaker journalists. Like that was a vision of so yours. So the first cover of kicks, KG is on the cover. Yep. One of my favorite players. He's yep. wearing a rubber band on his left wrist. And I've worn one, not the same one, obviously, but I've worn one ever since. And I have like a lifetime supply of like the Staples great rubber bands and all that. But, but yeah, that was pretty much the starting point. So, I mean, the whole magazine's about sneakers. I didn't know at the time, but Nike paid for it. It was basically like, of course, yeah, yeah, of course. But at the end of it, Russ did an interview with Avar. And Russ Banks. Russ Banks did an interview with Avar and an interview with uh, Aaron Cooper. And Avar did all my favorite shoes that Dennis Rodman and Penny wore. Cooper did Pippins and like the GP stuff down the road later. So, that was like the light bulb where I was like, dang, like you could write about sneakers, you could talk to designers. That was the first time. I mean, people knew Tinker Hatfield as a name, but that yeah. was the first time you were seeing other designers getting spotlighted and it kind of started from there. That's so interesting because I didn't think I, I didn't think that was it. This is presumptuous of me, but I thought like he kind of fell into it. Like Kicks was like a once a year thing. It was every August because that right. was the dead time of off season. Right, right. But it wasn't like so talk about that evolution. Okay, once a year. Every August, then you go to Soul Collector. Soul Collector was what ten times a year, six, six, six times a year. So yeah. every other month, then we get the launch of sneaker sites, right? Nice kicks, kicks on fire, whatever. Now they're really covering it. Then the explosion of social media. I don't know if I saw all of this coming back then. I don't even know if I saw it ten years ago. Yeah, every five years was like a new wave. So right. the first issue of Kicks was ninety eight. Soul Collector Sneaker Freaker was like oh three. And then all the blogs was like 07, 08. And then Instagram was basically 10, 12. Yeah, yeah. When it took off, you know, like the Galaxy phones, Orlando All-Star kind of just kickstarted all that. So 
I think that's always been the most fun thing is at the end of the day, like the sneakers are the crux of everything, but the world around it and the orbit of it is always evolving. For me, it's fun because you kind of just like have to adapt and see what's out there and what's shifting and kind of stay ahead on that. Sav, how much are you following this? Are you on social every day looking at, like, are you on the gram looking at sneakers every day? Um, definitely not on the gram looking at sneakers every day, but I follow the news just because it's been such a hot topic as of lately. I mean, I was actually even reading an article by Cohen Equity Research that sneakers are becoming an emerging asset class. So Nick, my question to you is, what do you feel like is driving the stock or the capital of the sneaker industry? Yeah, I mean, the resale component's been, probably the last 10 years alone, just a massive thing. I mean, you know, I always joke, I got my first debit card when I found out that you needed one to connect to an eBay account. And so that's how I started. I went to US Bank, got a debit card, connected it. US Bank? Damn, bro. It was, that was the campus uh, right, right, right. at Oregon at the time. That's awesome. And then I was buying shoes to my dorm room. But, you know, now it's like you have Goat, you have StockX, you have all these resale apps where some of these kids with the bots, they're making, you know, insane amount of money every month. And obviously we saw the, the whole sneakers debacle with the kid a couple months ago. But... The asset class piece is crazy. There's an app called Rares. There's some other apps that basically do like fractional investments where you could... Shut up. Yeah. Really? You could own a share of a shoe that you never actually physically have. Right. That just it's an asset, stored, like Sam was saying. stored somewhere. You know, and you have an Air Jordan 1, let's say that, you know, maybe it was going for $2,000, $3,000 10 years ago. Like some of these Jordan 1s are going for 50000 plus. Yeah. You know, so rather than invest in a stock... Are investing into the same way you would invest into art, investing into a sneaker. Like Is there a cap there? Does the market explode at some point? Like, that sounds interesting to me, and I think it sounds dope. It's like owning art, right? Like, I think you just said that. But is that shit going to explode? I think the thing that's tough is, like, it has to be preserved somewhere. So from the app standpoint, there's a lot that has to be done to, like, I guess, give the peace of mind and, like, security on that. But you have, like, the Yeezys that Kanye wore at the Grammys, like, that was acquired by the Rares app for $128 million. So they acquired the actual shoe? Yeah. And where does it sit? Is it like art? It sits in a case somewhere? Like It's basically, yeah, like, stored. Like, there's an app called um, Rally. Okay. And they have a showroom in New York where they'll put stuff. It's in Soho, actually. They'll have stuff on display there that's part of these investments and stuff. But otherwise, it's all in this, like... I was gonna, That was going to be my next question. Is the evolution, like, someone curating... A museum of this but you're saying that's already happening yeah, right yeah. but so that doesn't answer my question does it explode or you think this is like sav was saying the new asset i think it's like anything you have the nft boom and then it crashes a little bit you have you know baseball trading cars and things like that and then they kind of go in waves so you know right now it's probably hitting a saturation point a little bit but but we'll see i think as some of these shoes just are incredibly rare over time like some of these game worn shoes from jordan or whoever it's like that's the one pair, you know, that's the, that's like the one, like a pair of Space Jam 11s that yeah, yeah. was worn on the set, just sold for 174 grand. So Jesus, like the prices that we're seeing are just like starting to skyrocket. Right, right. And what do you think is driving at? Do you think it's the culture or do you think it's the, I was going to say the demands, but I mean, that is really an effect, not the cause. Yeah, I think the one thing that we're seeing with some of the baseball cards, like there was like a LeBron rookie card that was like a one of 20 something or whatever, like. Sometimes apps are buying these items for the PR to say that we have yeah. this item in our app. Mm-hmm. I think that's sometimes what we're seeing with some of those bikes too on the prices. But I would just say people are, the stock market is always there, but people are really like accelerating these ideas of like what's an alternate investment look like. And might sound crazy, but sneakers are becoming a part of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we see the we see the evolution also like with crypto kicks with Nike and with the authentication of it. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
I like sneakers because I like to wear them. Yeah. And I think the whole yeah. idea of like a virtual sneaker is ridiculous, but you know, people have avatars on their video games and they obviously just sit there and play the video game all day long. And yeah. That's not a real world thing sometimes either. So I get it. It's not my, <laughs> it's not, I'm not out here like, yeah, no you know, camping out trying to cop a photo of it. Like I like same thing with the top shot stuff. Sometimes I think some of that stuff's a little funny, but yeah, uh, but people love it. And it's, and it's becoming like a, another way to be part of the culture and get excited about it. Did you ever envision this is a, a pivot into capitalism or pivot into like ESPN specific. Did you ever envision ESPN would care this much about this topic? Like, where do you think that came from? Do you think that they saw all of the eyeballs on nice kicks and said, we got to be a part of this game or like, how, how did that sort of conversation happen? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, soul collector, high beast, nice kicks, that orbit of, of slam, blocks. slam, of course in there. Yeah. I mean, they've always had an impact, but in the, probably the niche of basketball and yeah. culture. Yeah. I think that the component of ESPN that's been fun is there's a, this really interesting sports business element to it. You yep. know, a lot of times the sneaker deals are the biggest endorsement deal outside of a team contract. I think there's three. Ninety nine percent of the time, not yeah, not a lot of times. Time. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think there was three players last year making more from a shoe deal than than their team deal, which who, I think was like Rondo, D Rose, and Kuz. That's know? so interesting. Yeah. That actually makes sense. You though. Know, but, yeah, yeah. You know, and those guys were you know obviously D Rose and Rondo had signature deals, and yeah, and then Kuz would put one and all he brought off the floor. So. I think that piece of it, and then the the big thing I've seen is, um, I always joke, like, I spent, like, probably two months on this, like, profile of Derrick Rose and why he's so popular in China, and just, like, probably spent way too much on it, and then I got a tip and wrote in, like, 20 minutes a story about how the NBA was lifting the color rules, and that was, like, the biggest story I ever Yeah, 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 I remember when you put that story out. Yeah, I, I was, like, flying from Oakland to L.A. and just wrote it on the plane, but that kind of story kind of just kickstarted things even more because now like you got to pay attention to what PJ Tucker's wearing on a Tuesday in Minnesota whereas in the past guys were just within their team colors and then they had their moments and stuff like that but now it's like a daily occurrence of every player trying to express themselves and for a lot of the signature guys like their sneakers are a portal into their personality like they're using their shoes to like in Dame's case he launched like an internship program for kids with the royalties from one of the colorways I still have seen a lot of people doing custom stuff that raises awareness for stuff as well LeBron's big on messaging with his shoes so I think that element of it too is like you know it's a, it's a different dynamic of these players that kind of gives fans a different a different window into their personality and I think like because of social media and because people care so much about this they almost care about it more than what happens on the court right I mean, you're never going to be out of business. Like, this is why ESPN is like, wants to be a part of this. It's constant content, right? Like, so tell us about your relationship with Kevin Durant and the boardroom, like how that fits into all of this. Because again, I view you as a sneaker person, but maybe it's deeper than that. Yeah. So I think Sneaker Center was a show we had on ESPN Plus yep. in 2019. And around that same time, I think right before, Boardroom originally started as an ESPN Plus show, yeah. um, which both KD and Rich Kleiman, you know, founded the platform Boardroom. And so we kind of got to a point, unfortunately, with coronavirus where we couldn't do any in-person shoots, you know, and, and basically a lot of the ESPN Plus shows like Sneaker Center, like the Boardroom, got put on hold. Okay. And so Rich and I basically were talking and we were kind of trying to figure out a way to do a variation of what Boardroom brought from a sports business standpoint and what Sneaker Center brought from a sneaker standpoint and do that in a virtual way just with everything, you know, how it had shifted to being on Zoom and, you know, things like that. So that was kind of the starting point of the conversation and really just kind of picked it off from there. And I think we're trying to bring, you know, maybe some more of the kind of lifestyle elements and some of the stuff that I don't necessarily write about on ESPN um, and kind of the 
obviously with NIL stuff that's going to come up yeah. as well. You know, there's kind of like a new a wild, wild west in the endorsement world with that. So, yeah. so it's been great. I mean, just both platforms obviously have their own audience, and it's, it's been fun to see how it's, how it's been going. And how do you source, like, new, fun information that you feel like people will be yeah. interested in? I mean, I always joke, because when we were at Soul Collector, we had to do six print issues a year. At one point, we were doing a monthly print issue in China. Like, it was a lot. And we always tried to pick, like, the sneakers we were excited about, because we didn't want to just, like, not to say there's bad shoes out there, but obviously some stuff is not as right. good as others. And so we always try to identify first, like, what's the most exciting stuff coming? We're always talking to the brands, getting, like, a snapshot of every probably six to eight months out, you know, what they've got coming so we can plan ahead. And then I think just picking the, the players that are most interesting too. So I would say the majority of what I do is obviously basketball-centric, but you know, even outside of hoops, there's stuff that we try to find. But how are you sourcing? Like, are you talking to executives? Are you talking to agents? Like, how are you like, I know this is coming down the line? So I live in Portland, and I'm 15 minutes from Adidas, 20 from Nike, <laughs> and then directly across the bridge. We're just hanging out the campus all day. Yeah, directly <laughs> across the bridge is the Under Armour basketball and innovation space. You know, right. they're based in Baltimore otherwise, but they're sure. basketball team. Some of those guys are in Portland, so... So that's always why I've lived in Portland. I've been there for 13 years now. And, and back in the day when I first moved there, and Juan was there too. So so that's kind of been the hub. Boston's the other hub of Puma, Reebok, New Balance, Converse, right. you know, those brands as well. So I think it's just a conversation with all the campuses. It's like if you're a political writer, you live in D.C., yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because I'm, I'm the only one out there. Like nobody else has ever, you know, a lot of media people are in New York as well. Back in Soul Collector days, we did have an office in, in Portland. But otherwise, I'm, I'm the only one out there. So. It's like a different level of access. Obviously, you build relationships with everybody, and you know I try to do a lot of designer interviews and exec interviews and yeah. stuff like that that to hopefully take it another layer further. And do you feel any pressure to kind of be the first to break news? Like, are you at the games, like taking pictures of shoes? Like, tell us what that hustle is like. So during the finals, I'm on the couch watching games or at the games, but I'm always refreshing like the Getty app, you know, trying to just see. Yes, how, you are. Yes, yeah, you which are. Which actually, Bertie <laughs> watched Game Six of the Bucks and. So he saw it, you know. Real He's on his phone, like, refreshing all the yeah. time. Yeah. I think that's part of it, right? It's yeah. like, you know, there's, I like the guys at Bleach Report, and I always tease them, because, like, if I tweet about somebody signing a shoe deal, then they'll immediately, like, tweet the same thing, and then put, like, perfect pause. Right, right, right. But, you know, I think that's part of it, is you want to be, you know, the first. And that was actually a great insight from Woj, who you mentioned earlier. It's like, if you could give people an insight or an information element that they can't get anywhere else, then that's what's going to make your mark. Yeah. And so he was one of the first people that was like really pushing me to like report more firmly on the shoe deals. You know, if a player is signing with this brand and you know this detail that, you know, maybe if it's not even a star player, just like every deal, like every deal you have, put it out there, like be firm Mm -hmm. and like have that be like the authority, you know, and that was just such a great learning point because obviously that's what he does on the transaction side. Sometimes spoiling the drafts and all that. But, <laughs> you know, that That's was, what makes it moge, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, that was that was kind of the starting point. And um, Nate Jones, who I owe a lot of credit to too. He's he's like the marketing agent and you know known on yeah. Twitter. And I was I think it was the 2014 draft. It was like Andrew Wiggins signing with Adidas and some of the other guys. And he was quote tweeting my my news breaks and putting like hashtag sneaker woge. And that's how Woj first saw me, actually. Was oh, for real? Because he was probably like, Who the hell, what the hell is a sneaker Woj? <laughs> right, 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 right. If you know anything about Woj, he ain't wearing sneakers. Yeah, <laughs> He's yeah. Like, well, what does that even mean? Right. But that was, I think, the, the cool insight. Because I always tried to, you know, whether it's like Leo Chang describing the process of designing the new KD shoe or Jason Petrie on LeBron, like, you try to get information that's you know unique and, and original to people that are reading it. But, but on the deal side, that's been a pretty cool thing that I've kind of tried to pick up on and now you have you know shams and chris haynes and, and even Woj sometimes if he gets it 
you know, reporting on shoe deals, which is kind of cool to see. Obviously, I'd like to be first on all of them, but <laughs> right. you know, it kind of like, I don't know, just raised the awareness of the overall concept. And, yeah, and I just think Getty, ha- like the fact that, I mean, I know you have the you have a Getty subscription and the Getty app. The fact that you can go on Getty and get all the sneakers now, I think speaks volumes to where we're at, right? Like we care so much that a photo wire service is all over it, right? Like every photographer at every game. Is there a sport beyond basketball that you think can explode in a way that people care about the footwear? Like, could it be wrestling? Like, do people watch wrestling and like, yo, look at what he's wearing? Like, is there a sport? It's tough because obviously in basketball, you're wearing the exact shoe the players wear. Right. You know, baseball, football, soccer, that's not the case. I would say my answer is the WNBA, which yeah. has not had the hype that the men's size had. And, you know, Brianna Stewart's going to get a signature shoe with Puma. That'll be the 10th, which is crazy to think there's only been 10, 10 in 25 signatures. years. Yeah. You know, so I feel like that actually would be the next the next roadmap of where it could get more exciting. You know, you've had, well, when Stewie was with Nike, she was wearing KDs. Sue's been wearing LeBron since the LeBron 6, and they're on the 18 now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then... Um, and uh, or I should say Diana, and then Susan wearing Kyrie's for the last few years. So I think, you know, what Nike does to maybe raise the stakes for some of their players with a signature shoe. Is it got, Sabrina? You think it's Sabrina? I don't though? know. I think I think it's tough because Nike has such a totem pole, right? So they've got like eighty five percent of the WNBA wears Nikes, right? Puma signs, but that was that was the NBA ten years ago, yeah. right? Yeah, but you know, there's five guys at Nike with a signature shoe. I think three um, between CP Russ and Zion and Jordan. You know, so I think. I, Luca I, now, Luca now, potentially down yeah. the road, maybe even Jason Tatum, you know, right. down the road. Those two guys are obviously on their way, but I would be excited to see it. Like, I think from Nike, it would be great if it was like a unified front of like three shoes at once, because I think the internal totem pole of like who's the next is a tough balance. Yeah, you're right about play. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas if Puma signs Stewie and gives her a shoe, then that's what's like, holding them back. Like, what goes into like the marketing and sort of internal infrastructure for signatures? Like, what holds Nike or any company back from like we're going to do a signature for this person. Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy because in the NBA there's I think there's going to be 22 players this next season with a signature shoe. Is that the most ever? Uh, yes. Okay. You know, and you've got CJ McCollum and Jimmy Butler with Lean In launching a shoe. Uh, Lamelo's going to launch with Puma. Yeah. So there's like almost a handful of guys new. You know, Zion just launched in March for the first time. So there's more and more guys coming in, but it's weird because you've kind of gotten the same kind of excuses over the years of like, oh well. It didn't sell well, or there's not a demand for it, but, you know, the marketing wasn't there necessarily either, like it is sometimes with the men's shoes. There's a lot of men's signature shoes that, like, quote-unquote, don't sell well. Right. Um, and those contracts are ironclad, and they still have new launches every year. So, I don't know. I think there's a way to spin it and a way to get around it. And I think, you know, we saw Adidas did a – it was called the ProVision. They had a shoe that Candace Parker, like, it wasn't a signature shoe, but, like, she was the face of it. Like Donovan Mitchell, other players wore it. Like I think you would see a lot more crossover support. Like I think the time is right for it too. So, so we'll see. Interesting. I always figured it's too much money to do a signature shoe. Like I felt like Nike holds back on it because they're not sure if it's going to sell. It's way easier to sell a team shoe, I feel like, than sell a PG. Is that is that wrong? Is that thought process wrong? Yeah, I mean, I've been counting in like over like eighty percent of the players of the summer league are wearing a signature branded shoe. Hmm, wow. you know? Right, right, so, right. Like, and, nobody, and a lot and, of guys used to wear Kobe's, right? Yeah, like, so, yeah. you know, you had, like, last year, and obviously with him passing away, maybe the numbers were higher, but, you know, you had 102 players in the bubble that wore a Kobe shoe. Right. Yeah. You know, and there was, like, 340 players there or whatever it was. So players, I think in the old, in the 90s, like, wearing another guy's shoe was, like, 
nobody wanted to do that. Right. You know, right. like Pat Riley was like, when we play the Bulls, you can't wear Jordan. Right. And now, you know, it's kind of a different era. You know, a lot of players different guy. Guys are different. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you've got like 45 players wearing the Kyrie shoes throughout the league. You know, right. So I think that piece of it's different. But that would be to me like all the more juice of why you would probably want to have a signature shoe on the women's side. Because I feel like that's on the NBA side, that's what's been carrying the industry for the last five years here. Are you following women's like footwear sales? Is that an exploding like demographic, or has it always been, and we just weren't paying attention to it? The women's market, yeah, across. I mean, that's been Nike's biggest driver. I mean, at Jordan Brand in particular, they just added like eleven players on the W, and they've had like crazy growth in the women's side and selling. Right yeah. there's yeah, there's a whole market. You know, and, right? and obviously, there's like athleisure and apparel and kind of lifestyle shoes as part of that, but. That's the thing. It's like I don't think a signature basketball shoe needs to be like a straight like performance hoop shoe. Like, yeah, I think there's a no, way for to, sure. to give it some off court appeal too, and, and that could be something that's exciting. So, from Nike's standpoint, I forget the numbers offhand from you know their last earnings, but like the women's market in particular has been flying for them. Makes um, sense. Under Armour just launched their first women's specific basketball shoe called the Breakthrough. Like we've seen some brands kind of dabble. Isn't Jordan also specifically doing like women's Jordans now, like cuts from women instead of like my understanding is that before you have to buy men's sizes, now you can buy women's sizes. Am I am I yeah, speaking here? They've been doing women's colorways for a bit. Okay, uh, yeah, colorways. Yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. of, of obviously the, the Air Jordans that Mike wore, but but they also have women specific silhouettes too. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, back in '98 they had the, it was just called the women's Jordan, and it was kind of drafted off the Jordan 13 a little bit. Uh, so they've done it in the past, but I think now you're starting to see people really just ramp it up. Got it. What's your opinion about everything that's happened with Kobe, and what do you think is going to happen now that like Vanessa didn't resign there? It's tough. You know, I've interviewed him quite a bit through the years. Yeah. You know, Kobe four or five six was like a crazy run from a design and innovation standpoint. Two thousand four to two thousand six, you're saying? Uh, Kobe four. Oh, Kobe four. Yeah, Got so it. Sorry. Was, he signed with Nike in '03. Right. And that was all from '09 to 2011. He was back to back finals in the Kobe four and five. So, right. yep. um, you know, that was an amazing run. And I think his like input and like how meticulous he was about the performance, like that, I've never seen. Maybe Kyrie, but I've never really seen another player that's like that hands on early on. You know, and so I think. From that standpoint, it was tough because he drove a lot of the innovation in Nike. So for him not to be here anymore, I felt like they're missing that, you know, in terms of like somebody that's going to push that North Star of like mm-hmm. concept stuff. And then for it not to get renewed, it's tough. You know, I think you've seen Vanessa, um, you know, she didn't renew the partnership with the Academy as well. So I don't, I don't you know, I don't know what's going to really happen. The contract expired April 13th. It was a five-year extension from his last game in 2016. And so from there... It's kind of been just like an ongoing conversation they've been having here and there, but nothing's been landed. They haven't produced any new things since then. You want to break something on the show? No, there's nothing to break. Just <laughs> yet. And I, wish. I think it would be a win-win for everybody if they were able to, you know, resolve something and get a new contract. So that's done. still in play, you think? You think Possibly. Not? I okay. don't know. I don't know. I thought it was done. Like, Yeah, it's, you know, it might be done. I don't know. I think, I think in a, like, this is just my personal opinion, like what I would love to see happen. I would love to see her do a deal with all the brands he wore. Do a proper deal with Adidas, proper deal with Nike. He wore Jordans during his sneaker phrase. Yeah, but what, my experience with Nike specifically has always been, nah, you can't work with Adidas and us. That's always been Yeah, obviously experience. they want an exclusive contract, but if, I think this would be the one exception, right? Okay. And it's a matter of allowing players and fans to get the shoes as they were originally made. Because the Adidas stuff since 2003, basically, 
you know, they've called the KB8 the Crazy 8. Yeah. The Kobe one is the Crazy one, and they've had to, you know, not. But Crazy 8 is a dope name. I, 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 it worked out great. Yeah, people Crazy 8 is a dope name. A lot of people don't even know that they think that was the original name. They don't know that wasn't. Yeah, the yeah. Name, you know? and That's think, one of my favorite shoes, honestly. Yeah. Like, I hooped in those shoes. All I wanted for my 13th birthday was the black and white KB8s, and instead I got a little 13 inch TV, and I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom like, yelled at me on the drive home from Christmas because I didn't get my shoes, but. I was just like, you gotta be more appreciative. And obviously, I had that TV like all through high school. It was a great gift. But, right. <laughs> but that's like all I wanted was those shoes. And I think that's the the magic of Kobe, right? It's like he was at Adidas for six years, Nike for the rest of his career. But he wore some cool Reebok stuff when he was a free agent that year of 0203. He wore some cool Jordan PDs. Um, he even wore like Converse weapons and ones. You know, so I think I think allowing. Shit, fans, I don't know if people knew all this. Yeah, During free agency, right? Yeah, so when he left Adidas, basically he had to pay whatever. So the money he had one year left on the deal. So the money he was going to make, he had to pay them that amount as like a break fee. Oh, wow. And then he had to play the whole 2002-2003 season as a sneaker free agent without a deal. So he couldn't earn money that year as well. And they had a weird clause where he couldn't wear the same brand three games in a row. Interesting. So he was wearing like a Nike shoe. A Jordan shoe. You mean during free agency? He, during like, that whole season. Okay. Yeah. So he was wearing Reeboks. He was wearing, he wore and ones a couple times. Like he played in Converse weapons That's, for bricks. Like, right. 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 You know, right, right he was right, wearing right. Air, you know Air Force One. So it was like. And this is pre-China too. Like otherwise he'd be wearing Li Ning's. Like yeah. right. Like didn't Luca do something like this? Like Luca was wearing all different kinds of shoes for a while. Right. Well, when he, so usually the, the players their contracts usually expire October first. Right. And so Luca played it out because he was coming off his rookie of the year year. But then that start of the season was killing, too. So he played, like, I think a month and a half, and then he signed with Jordan, like, early December that year. Um, actually, it might have been, it was, like, third week of December, because I was at this, like, Christmas function or whatever when the deal got done on, like, Saturday. I was like, oh, shit, I got to go write the story now. Right. Um, but, yeah, he was wearing, like, Under Armour stuff. Cool yeah, stuff, yeah, I remember. And I think Lee Ning, too. Yeah. Like, he was wearing everything. And I think, you know, you want to drive up the price on everybody and, and create that kind of interest. And then right. it's, like, nowadays, it's, game-to-game basis of, like, what's this guy going to wear? So the interest was there. When Kobe was doing it, like, you're watching on a non-HD small-ass TV trying to, like, figure out what he's actually wearing. And, like, it wasn't yeah. really... Right, right. That speaks to what we were talking about before. Now it's, like, 24-7 content about this guy's wearing that, this guy's social media, whatever it is, Getty Images. Like, that just speaks to this. Who like is... you get the slam the next month right. and then find out what he's Right, right, exactly, right. The next month, exactly, right, exactly. Yeah. Who's the guy that you think can sort of... Who's the next guy that can kind of carry the mantle and sell shoes? Like, to me, LeBron sells shoes, right? I think we're saying Kobe does. Yep. Durant Kyrie, Kyrie does, does. Kyrie does. Steph, Steph does. Steph, Steph sells shoes? Yeah. Okay. Me, that's like the, the handful, right? So who's the... Can Giannis sell shoes? Or people... Can Lucas sell shoes? Can you, Zion? Like, who's the guy in your in your vision? I guess you don't want to predict like uh, that. No, but. I think all those guys, you know, you need a lot of variables, right? So you got to win. Yeah. Shoes got to be fresh, a decent price point. Yeah. You got to be killing on the court. And if like, all stuff that... Like, they... Under Armour got Steph. That, that was lightning in the bottle, yeah. right? So, like, when AI comes out the gate with the question, right. like, he hits on all those variables. Right, Steph right. hits on all those variables, wins the title, his first shoot. Right? MVP, you know, right? Like, all that stuff. Off and running from there. So, you know, sometimes you need all those things to line up. So, you know, it's hard to say, like, can the Pelicans make the playoffs? I don't know. You know, and I think that's going to be a factor. You know, hopefully that team turns it around. Maybe Luca's shown that he could carry the team, obviously, into the playoffs, so maybe that's going to help. I think Tatum could be that guy. Um, really? You know, I think I think Devin Booker could be that guy. Mm-hmm. Book's in a tough spot because obviously he loves wearing Kobe's and had a connection to Kobe too. 
So we'll see what happens. Is he getting a signature, you think? Or? Uh, I don't know that. You know, they've got five guys with um, LeBron, KD, Kyrie, Giannis, and, and Paul George. You know, those are the current Nike signatures. Yeah. Then there's, like, this next totem pole of, like, you know, Book and some of the guys on the Nike side. I could see, you know, Luca did a five-year deal with Jordan. I could see when that deal is up and LeBron and KD and, you know, the guys on the Nike Why can't side. it be Giannis? He's so young. He's so good, honest. right? Yeah, like I mean, he, You know, the finals, the way he went out with the 50-point game, like, I mean, that was just incredibly impressive. Obviously, people love his story, and he's just, like, the most humble dude ever. Yeah, so. he's got a great story. He won. He's been the MVP. He's under 30. I don't know how old he is, but he's under 30. He's like 26. Right, right. He's yeah. young. Yeah. He's charming. Like... Could be him, you know, and the shoes are, you know, 120, 130 bucks. The, the Freak 1, I really like the Freak 1. And the Freak 3 is, like, kind of a funky but cool shoe, and so... I think that line could be it. You know, it was tough because he's such a creature of habit that he doesn't like to switch shoes like mid-playoff run. So he's wearing the Freak 2s. The Freak 3s come out. And they want him to wear it? And he's, like, still in the Freak 2s. Would have been cool if he won the finals in the Freak 3s. Right, right, right. You know, some guys are superstitious and just want to keep rolling with what works. But that's probably the one tough thing. But, but yeah, it could be him. I think the, the designs have been cool. You know, the Bucks obviously not a big market, but I don't think that matters anymore. just matters if you're winning and, and people can relate to how are the sales of those shoes? Do you know? I mean, it's still slow because, um, you know, Nike usually kind of starts and they kind of start you slow and then ramp you up. So, like, that first shoe, they always kind of uh, probably underproduce it just mm-hmm. to just kind of see what the response is and then go from there. So, I think once we get to, like, Giannis, like the three, five, six, then we'll really see them, like, kind of take that to the next level just from a volume standpoint. But, I mean, Kyrie is the number one selling guy right now. Yeah. Uh, LeBron, like you mentioned, obviously, like when you look at because people just love his shoe, right? Yeah, LeBron's at like I want to say almost six hundred million all in between. Not, you know, that's the thing; he doesn't just have one signature shoe. He has he has the Soldier Line, he has the Witness, he has the Ambassador, which is in China. He's got all these other models. He's got all the different what they call full family size. It's like all different kids sizing. There's all the apparel. So like his business overall is massive. But I think you know Kyrie is the guy that that really is at the top there too in terms of like every year. Just the annual Kyrie should do it along. How many sneakers do you have right now? I remember you told me one time, like, you had to, like, waterproof your basement so in case there was a flood, you don't lose a million dollars worth of shoes or something I like that. Love, I would almost love to just snap my finger and get robbed and get insurance money at this point. But. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Nick, I know some guys. You want me to call some guys. Of right, course, then right of course. Up. But, man, it's, it's been ridiculous because I was a sole collector for seven and a half years. You know, we're getting, brands are sending us stuff yep. all the time. Yep. You know, at that point, I wasn't washed. I was playing ball like four times a week and like yep. testing like every new shoe out. And we always had a rule that you couldn't sell shoes because we just didn't want, you know, some of the junior riders just like, you know, we get this stuff. No doubt. And so, you got to give them away. You can't yeah, sell them. No, so the ice you want to donate them, that's cool, whatever. But, you know, sometimes it's like high value stuff too. And, you know, so that was kind of like the rule. Totally backfired because basically I was just stockpiling stuff in my basement for 10 years. So I got like five, like seven hundred fifty dollars. Right now, yeah. come on. But I donate. I mean, Jay Will is my favorite player. So every back to school, I donate fifty five. White chocolate. Yeah, I, I grew up in Sacramento. You know, I throw terrible behind the back passes, all that. So I, I always try to donate fifty five pairs every start of the school year, and then what's a random school? No, there's a there's a couple different organizations in Portland. There's one in particular called Boys and Girls Aid. It's like a web of like seven thousand foster kids around Portland area. Got it. Cool. So they do a nice job. So. 
usually partner with them on that. That's dope. 55 Shoes is dope. Or That's like, dope. you know, random kids on Instagram. I always joke, like, some, I was dating this girl at the time, and she was, like, asking about my DMs, and I was like, here you go. It's kids asking for free shoes. <laughs> 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 you know, like, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, like, you know, I'll have, like, a random kid who's like, hey, like, you know, I'm a size 13. I don't see any Clay Thompson shoes online. Like, where can I get them? I was like, oh, honestly, like, in China, they go up to size 12. Like, I'll send you a pair. I got some, they send me some 13s, 14s. That's size. dope. Clay's, you know, Clay's a bigger size. So, stuff like that, like, I'll try to give away. But then, like, the next week, like, I just got an email this morning about a pair of shoes that got delivered at my house when I get back tonight. So, it's just like, it's, I'm not complaining, obviously. Right. Um, that was actually, like. But it becomes overwhelming. I think yeah, I've told this. a lot, yeah. I, I, my peak was 384. Very exact, I like that. And, and so I, I, I like had a breaking point. It was 384. I was living in the East Village in a small, it was a two-bedroom apartment. So one room was literally just shoes, right, and boxes. And out of 384, more than half, probably 200 plus, I never even took out of the box. Like, I just, I like to wear sneakers. So for me, like, I'm not going to open a new sneaker if I'm cool with the sneakers I'm wearing, right? Like, I wear the sneakers. So... It got to a point where I was like, I'm done with this. I reached a point where I, now it's 24, hard number, 24. I might go down yeah, to 24. Yeah, I 24 for the shot clock. Yeah, you right? live in New York though, it's tough too. Right, it's really hard. You know? But it was more than lit space, it was like becoming overwhelming. Yeah. Like I couldn't deal with like, should I keep these sneakers? Should I give them away? Like, do I clean them? Do I not clean them? Like, and I it, keep all the boxes. Like, yeah, I know. That's yeah. a lot. That's a, a lot. lot. It's overwhelming, man. So, out of your 750 pairs, yeah. top two favorites? Uh, Zoom yeah. Flight 95 is the best sneaker of all time and my favorite shoe. Um, I always joke. So, in middle school and elementary school, I had a $40 budget. High school, I had a $50 budget. <laughs> so, I didn't actually have, like, the latest Jordans growing up. And, you know, like, I, Mom Dukes is like, here's your budget? Yeah, yeah Mom, I'm obviously doing that too. Like, like twenty dollars for a shirt. Like we had like everything had like the you know my mom was a teacher and so we kind of had like a strict budget on stuff. Right. So I was like mad resourceful at Ross Marshalls back in the day. They used to have <laughs> like I was like payless. I, I used to do payless. Yeah, like I was finding like you know East Bay had that Final Score magazine. I call it a magazine. It was a catalog, but yeah. you know so I was always finding the stuff on sale. So the Zoom Flight ninety five was like the first shoe where it just looked crazy futuristic. So that was like I was like I got to get those. Jason Kidd, I love as a player. Didn't have them growing up. I had the Thrill Flight, which was like the takedown version, but Mitch Richmond wore those. So I was like, that was still cool because he was on the Kings. And I got him for 58 bucks at JCPenney, chipped in 18 bucks. And then <laughs> once I got my debit card and got onto eBay, the first thing I bought was in Flight 95. So like a pair that was, I found on there. But but that to me is is the coolest, like craziest, futuristic shoe. And then, um, I mean, of course, Jordan 1s, which you're wearing. Or you yeah. have Dunson, actually. Yeah, I, I saw the tone down there with Jordan 1s. But uh, I think everybody has an affinity for Jordan 1s, just the versatility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think they're comfortable. I, I, I like disagree them. with people that say they're not yeah. comfortable. They're easy. They're flat. Yeah. I like them. I mean, I probably had, at one point, like 30-something pairs and then sold off a few. But I mean, I've always loved Jordan 1s, too. And then I like a lot of hoop stuff. So, like, the Garnet 3... You know, Hyper Flights, which was Jason Williams' kind of headliner shoe, which was flashy. Like, a lot of, like, loud stuff. Yeah. I always joked, like, growing up, we weren't allowed to have white shoes because they got too dirty. And we would just have the one shoe for the school year. So, I hated white shoes growing up because it was, like, something I never really looked at. Like, it wasn't an option for us. So, I'll probably have, like, six pairs of white shoes out of that whole bag. <laughs> um, and I think, like, outside of, like, Concord 11s and, like, you know, a couple Jordans here and there. And, like, the white navies in Flight 95s, like, don't really have any white shoes. Got it. All right, you're a wealth of knowledge. I would love to pick your brain forever, and you and I, whenever we're 
drinking red wine, we often gravitate towards talking about sneakers in the business. So I could probably talk to you forever. Sav, I don't know if you're like absorbing a lot of this knowledge. Like this guy, like look at this, like he's just rattling shit off. I know, so it's totally, amazing. totally appreciate it. Want to be mindful of your time though. It's Vegas. So we got a party. Vegas Summer League. Let's specify Vegas, for yeah, the we're audience. Here, yeah. <laughs> no, we're just in Vegas, Roadshow Vegas. So, Nick, what would you say? What, what's the piece of advice you'd give? Because you, you came up during a different time. Yeah. Now it's like probably, I don't want to use the word easier, but it's, there's a lot more avenues for kids or young adults that want to be in this industry. What's that one piece of advice that you would either give someone that's trying to break into it or somebody who's already into it and trying to make their way the way you did? Yeah, I think two things. Like, the one thing I was mindful of was like, I didn't really skip any steps. So like, mm-hmm. I was the sports editor of the school paper. I went to the journalism program in Oregon with a focus in magazine because I wanted to write for a magazine. Right. And I was like, those kind of foundational pieces, like you got to do that just to just understand the business and get the wheelhouse of it. I also did a business minor in college too, because I knew it's not just basketball. It's the business of sports that I was going to be writing about potentially. So I want to kind of have that angle. So I think the foundational pieces you got to do. Uh, the other piece was, I like to say I was an email gunslinger. Yeah. So when I was in college, I was at Oregon in Eugene, which is like two hour drive slow, so like two hours south of Portland. And I found out that everybody at Nike and Adidas, their emails were just their first name, dot, dot. last name. Yeah, of course. Yep. So I was emailing people all the time. Oh, my God. And what, when you emailed them, what would you say? I would keep it quick. I would have like two paragraphs and say, hey, you know, a little about myself. I want to be, you know, at that time I wanted to possibly even work for a brand and possibly like product testing or something in the kind of like tech and design side. I can't draw it all, which sucks, but I knew I wanted to be involved in the industry. So I would like say a little about myself and then I would say, you know, let me know a window that works for you. I'd love to grab lunch, pick your brain. And I think the biggest piece of advice in that is like, it was never like day one, first lunch, like how do I get a job? How can you get me a job? It was just like the start of a relationship. And I was also like, at that time, 20 years old, like driving to Seattle, camping out for Jordans and like sleeping on concrete and then not getting them. So I had all these (laughs) insights just from being like as into it as possible too. So I was always trying to make it like a two-way exchange of like this person sits at a desk and works at Nike. Like maybe I can give them some insight into what a 20-year-old thinks about what's going on or maybe some... So the second one is like reach out and have a real relationship. That's the second piece of advice. Do you get that now? Do people hit you up and and are you responsive to that? Yeah, I think that's the thing now. So like back then I was emailing from my school address, email address and like talking to people with brands, but like there was no LinkedIn, there was no Instagram. Right, right. Now it's easier than ever to see like, you know, that person does something I think I want to do. How can I get a hold of them? So I've had like an eighth grader from Boston. I've had like kids from all over the place that email me just randomly because I have my email on my Twitter and Instagram. And so we'll just chop it up for like 20, 30 minutes on the phone and try to give them some advice and pointers, stuff like that, and kind of, you know, share a little side of the industry with them. And I think the other piece is like writing is a like, sometimes solo venture, you know, like it's not, I guess you get to go to games and talk to players and like that part's awesome, but there is a lot of like the groundwork of it. That's kind of tough and rough. So they kind of go into it knowing, knowing that as well as important. And then nowadays too, it's like to be a media personality or journalist, it doesn't have to just be writing. You could be doing a podcast, you could be doing videos. Right. So I think a lot of kids nowadays, like how can you get creative to that 15, 16, get your stuff seen you know, and it's a whole new platform of, of social media that you can get seen in that way. So that way is kind of all evolved and, and unique too. Dope. Dope. That's awesome. Nick, appreciate the time always, man. I, I think your insight is, is it invaluable or valuable? Invaluable means that's... Could be both. Think, yeah, it yeah, could be both. both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, anyways, your insight's dope. <laughs> appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, of course. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. The Black Box Podcast is not possible without the team. The show is produced by Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. Creative Director, Alana Rodriguez. Video Editor, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. Designed by Lineage Digital. <laughs>